Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. First, we're going to pray. But after we're done praying, I'm going to ask you to write down what you think a Christian home looks like. Okay? We're going to pray. And I want you to write an idea. Maybe you want to turn it over on the back about what a Christian home looks like. Let's pray together. Father, please bless our time together in Deuteronomy. Father, we look to your word for guidance. And Father, we would be built up and wise according to salvation. So please help us, Lord. Uh, Give us insight and wisdom, conviction. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Write down, what do you think a Christian home looks like? You can do that. Whatever your interpretation, that's the thing is, that that question's pretty open to interpretation, isn't it? Two-story, picket fence, 2.3 kids. Take a few minutes, write down what you think a Christian home looks like. What does a Christian home look like? you don't have one of those pieces of paper, that's fine. You can just use a scrap paper. What does a Christian home look like? And what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you not to share your answers. It's just for you. That way you don't have to worry about being called upon or anything like that. This isn't to make anybody (laughs) self-conscious. Exactly. Dan's got to be off the hook. Just take a few moments. And then when you're done, if you wouldn't mind, take your piece of paper, put it in Deuteronomy 6, and turn over for just a moment to Romans 15. A lot of times people discredit the Old Testament. I was having a conversation with uh, Mary Severson's grandson earlier. He's he's really interested in the end times. And so I took him back to the library. Mary Cooper, you'd be happy about this. I took him back to the library and got him three books. He checked them out. Uh, Pretty thick. He's got about this much reading to do. So that's good, right? I'll keep him busy. And, and I'm excited to hopefully it'll it'll start a conversation with him about the end times and all of that. And um, I told him, I said, you know, a lot of people get to Revelation and and they just kind of, oh, I'm so confused, I don't know what's going on, I'm I'm, I'm you know, and, and it's just kind of they feel more overwhelmed than anything. You you tend to have where people really want to get into Revelation, but when they open it up, they start reading it, they get so overwhelmed that they quit. Uh, a lot of the times, the reason why it is that people don't understand Revelation is because we don't know the Old Testament. Everything that is brought up in Revelation can either be found, A, in the teachings of Christ, or B, in the Old Testament. And all the fill-in stuff, I think they mostly gave to Paul and Peter in order to tell us. 
Um, but, but you will find overwhelmingly, if you're wanting to know what something is in Revelation, it's because of knowing Old Testament. There's value in the Old Testament. And, and too often Christians have dismissed it and in, in doing so have lacked a basis for their faith. In chapter 15 of Romans, look at verse 4. It says, and this is how we actually started the class long, long time ago, a galaxy far, far away. It says, for whatever was written in earlier times was written for what? Our instruction. Now, who's writing here? Paul. Who's he writing to? Roman believers. That's a good way to put it. It's not the Roman Catholic Church. It's not who he's writing to, okay? They weren't even a thing yet. It's the church in Rome. It's believers in Rome. He's writing to believers in Christ whom he has never met. And he is letting them know the things that were written in the Old Testament were written for our instruction. And here's the reason. So that through perseverance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. So notice what the Old Testament is meant to do to the New Testament believer. Number one, it is to give perseverance. In other words, when you feel like quitting, when you say it would be much more well-suited to my situation to give up, cut my losses, say, forget it, there's no use in going on. No. The Old Testament actually points you in a direction of keep on keeping on despite your circumstances because of who God is in the midst of history. The second part is, is notice the encouragement of the Scriptures. Why is that? Because every single person that God worked with in the Old Testament is just like you and me. They've got their pitfalls, they've got their failures, they've got their excellencies, they've got the things they're good at, they've got their obedient moments, and they've got their disobedient moments. But notice what it says there. The encouragement of the Scriptures, why? We might have hope. The Old Testament was to be hopeful. One of the greatest areas, especially in America, that is under fire right now is the home. It is the family. It is the idea of a mother and a father with the responsibility of raising children in a certain way, certain atmosphere. And too often, the expectations have been in keeping in line with the Joneses rather than looking at what God had to say about how a family should be structured. This is going to be super convicting stuff, I promise you, if you let it be. So now, with that idea in mind and the purpose of why these things were written for us, Turn to Deuteronomy 6 so we can understand what do we think of when we think of a Christian home. Now understand, I'm not trying to blur the lines here. I am very much in firm belief that Israel and the church are two separate entities. Israel is a nation. The church is a transnational gathering of believers in Jesus Christ. It has its own special program. And when, it, and when the church is raptured, Israel will still be here to be dealt with those who are unbelieving at that time. Does that make sense to everybody? So we have to understand this in the, in the framework of history. We got that? Yes? Who's asleep? Sure. Israel is a nation. It's the Jews. It is God's loved and chosen people. Can never deny that. The, the Scriptures, Old Testament, testify to it ever since its inception in, in Genesis chapter 12 with Abraham. Go to a country I'm going to show you. Land, seed, blessing. There is the bedrock that is laid. He is the first Hebrew. From there he has a whole line, a lineage 
of people. His descendants become as numerous as the stars in the sky. The church is completely different in the fact that it doesn't matter what nation that you are a part of. If you have responded in faith to the gospel message, you become part of the church. This even means for things like Messianic Jews. I think one of the greatest problems... Uh, gosh, this is going to sound horrible. I think one of the greatest problems that Messianic Jews have is they still hold on to a lot of their traditions and customs because that rules the trappings of bringing them under the law, possibly, and that's dangerous. Now, does that happen for every Jew who believes in Jesus? No, I'm not saying that. But the Bible is very clear that when a Jew or a Gentile believes in Christ, they cease to be Jew and Gentile, and now they become part of the body of Christ, and Christ is now their head. They are one new man, one new creation. So I don't want to blur those lines. Colleen, does that help? Does that make more sense? Okay. So when we're looking at this and we're talking about what makes a Christian home, what we have to do is we have to apply secondary applications here. Does anybody know what I mean when I say secondary applications? We haven't reached this point in hermeneutics yet, so you guys don't get the advantage, the upper hand here. Secondary applications, anybody know? Okay, so a primary application is, go ahead, what's that? Secondary application comes after the primary application. And before the primary comes the kindergarten application, right? Wow. Okay. The primary application is whenever you're reading through a scripture and you're sitting here asking the question, how do I apply this to my life? There are things that speak directly to us and there are things that speak to other people but yet should have a principle that we can still pull from. So when we look at the situation that we're dealing with in Deuteronomy, we have Moses. Do we have him today? No, we don't. He's not here right now. What he wrote still here, what God told him to do is still here. We have a historical record of his life and what went on. But he is not here right now. So do we have Israel? Are we Israel? We are not Israel. So this isn't speaking directly to us. Therefore, we cannot make this a primary application. This is someone who is speaking directly to an entity that we are personally and readily affiliated with. So as the church, living in New Testament times, knowing who the Messiah is, and 2,000 years on the other side of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have to ask ourselves questions of secondary application. What principles can transfer from what I am reading here into my current situation without violating the text of Scripture? Now you say, that sounds like a whole lot of work. Why in the world does that matter? Well, here's the reason why that matters is because maybe you shouldn't be cutting off your right hand if it causes you to sin. How do you understand that? If it directly applies to you, maybe you should do that. Anybody ever anybody ever uh, laid on their side for so many days next to a pile of dung? Because that's what Ezekiel was called to do. What's that? I try not to. Okay, that's good. But wasn't that what Ezekiel was called to do? He was. So how do you know that that doesn't apply to you? I mean, it's in the Bible. Shouldn't you do it? You see what you see? What I'm saying? There's a lot of things about the factors of the people involved that determine whether or not it's applicable to us. So here's what I want us to do. We've looked at the Shema, Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, right? And this is the call, the most sacred of the prayers. The men were reciting it twice a day, leading the homes, getting their, getting their lives in order, following Yahweh. Yahweh was culture-encompassing. 
He was not Sunday only. He was not Sabbath only. He was culture encompassing in their ideas. You could not function or live life apart from Yahweh. And I tell you what, that's a lot of the reason why the church is not effective today. Is because too often Christians come to church and they've been to church and they've done church or they visited a church and they weren't being the church the rest of the time with God's principles, His points, His truths mattering all the time. Or my, one of my most favorite quotes, if the saved would get saved, we'd have, a, we'd have a lot less problems getting the lost saved. That's the idea. So it's the fact that God is permeating all of society and culture and how we make our decisions. Notice what happens here in verse 5. You shall love Yahweh your Elohim with all of your... Okay, remember how important the heart is, right? In order for action to be different, in order for minds to be changed, in order for responses to become tamed, in order for patience to be something that we gravitate towards instead of gravitating towards impatience, the heart has to be penetrated. It has to be fully assaulted by the Word of God. Because the heart is the issue. Would everybody agree the heart is the issue? Okay. Until we are convinced of a greater truth than what we are settling for and how we are operating, we will never be different people. It will never happen. The same is true for today. And the same actually is in greater opportunity for us today because we have the indwelling Holy Spirit. We have an advantage over the Jew that the Jew never had. God has given a piece of himself to us. They never had this before. So notice, you shall love Yahweh your Elohim with all of your heart, with all of your soul. This is the idea of nephesh, your breath. And the Lord breathed, and man became a living being. The very essence of your life is the idea here. And notice it says, and with all of your might. This is a fun Hebrew word if you want to write down the English transliteration. It's me'od. Me'od is the idea. Me'od. M-E-H-O-D-E. Me'od. And the idea is your force, your abundance. And one definition actually listed it as your muchness. What is your muchness? You ever thought about that? Might want to write down and identify it. You might forget it later. But notice, the call was that there is a compound one God. Remember we talked about the compound one, the Echad? Remember that? There is a compound God made up of three in one. And our lives are to be devoted, encompassed by Him. The heart is to be devoted to Him. The soul, the essence of our being is to be devoted to Him. And the abundance, the force, the muchness that we have is to be devoted to Him. In other words, let's say it this way. Living as if He is Lord. Now there's a lot of dangers with the idea whenever you hear the phrase or the term Lordship Salvation. I'm not talking about Lordship Salvation. But I will talk freely and often about Lordship Sanctification. And what this is, is this is recognizing places in our lives where we have not sought God to have the say-so in them. 
This is a difficult thing to do. And here's the reason why. Hold on, I need some tonic. Because we so desperately want to keep grace free. Okay? And there's nothing wrong with that. Grace is absolutely free regardless of how we want to keep it or not. Again, our belief about a subject doesn't change the truth of the subject. So grace being absolutely free and dealing with our justification when we believe in Christ and we are justified in His sight, that is a done deal. However, there are now areas in our lives and we are called to be holy, are we not, in the Scriptures? That's all over the place. You're going to find it. How does that happen? It is finding areas of our lives that need to be submitted to what God has called for in the Scriptures. So like... Any, any New Testament command that you find would be something you would want to bring under it. Let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. What proceeds past your lips? How do you address people? How do you think about them? How do you verbalize to others? Is it gossip or is it encouragement? Everybody see how important that is? By, by sitting here and looking at the Scriptures and asking the question, how does my word play match with what I'm being called to because I am in Christ and have been fully accepted by Him. Notice it's nothing conditioned upon your justification. That's a done deal. But the question is, again, am I walking in fellowship with Him? Well, guess what? I need to submit to Jesus' Lordship over my tongue. My tongue needs to be tamed. (laughs) Maybe I don't need to talk as much. But maybe think more carefully about what it is that I do say. You see how that works? What would Jesus have me to do in this area of my life? Finances. Maybe we frivolously spend money. Maybe instead of dealing with with cash, we've been dealing with cards. That's always a danger. Credit card debt is at an astronomical high right now. I don't think it's ever been higher. In interest rates, man, the credit card company don't care about you. But it still changes the fact that the borrower is slave to the lender, is it not? That is a place where we need to look at life and bring it under the lordship of what Christ has commanded in teachings. Well, it's no different here. Remember this. The law for Israel was never about how do I get acceptance with the holy God. That's not it. Acceptance with the holy God is by faith, just like Abraham exercised in Genesis 15, 6. He took Abraham out showed him the stars of the sky and said, count them if you can, so will be your descendants. And Abraham believed God and it was accredited or it was counted to him as righteousness. He was righteous at that moment that he believed. However, keeping the law, coming into obedience, is about what it is to cultivate fellowship with Yahweh. And this was to be the speaker sound system for the world. Israel, plugged into God in an intimate way, taking all sin captive and dealing with it through the sacrifices and living a life that was entrenched in the goodness and blessing of God so that it radiated and overflowed that all the pagan nations who were doing all the crazy things that God was having to warn them not to do when they got into the land because it had been saturated with evil and that's the reason these people were being judged killed and removed from the land because they had destroyed the land with their sin and they were instead supposed to preach their righteous acts and their fellowship with the creator 
was going to be what preached to the people around them about a very different culture that was possible. So notice everything being saturated in verse 5. Verse 6, These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. There it is again, the heart. Now here's the question. How is that going to happen? Moses tells us. Verse 7, You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be frontlets on your forehead and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates This is what a Christian home looks like. But this is talking about Israel. It is. But let me ask you a question. Is there anything here that you see that is objectionable to being a reality in the church age? How many of you have ever seen... Go ahead. Well, is that what it literally means? The Jews have actually taken it to that point. Everybody, everybody, have we heard of phylacteries? Yeah, they have these little boxes here that have scripture in them. And they would do that. But it was all for show. Look how righteous I am. No, you went to Walmart, you bought your phylacteries, and now you're out here showing everybody because you decided to tie it on your head. That doesn't mean you know what's in it. They also would have a, a, a leather strap that they would have with scripture on it. They would wrap around their arm in order to show everybody. See right here, it's on the forearms it was all the appearance of outward righteousness but what it was really testifying was fact was is we don't know our god so let's start with this and see where it goes the problem is that the heart has to be penetrated and notice in verse 7 let's break it down you shall teach them how diligently you teach them diligently to who your sons Let's stop and let's talk about what it is to teach children. Man. You talk about being at a place in life. Good grief. You know, I haven't been here very long, so I can't really be mad at y'all for not telling me how hard it was. But I'm super mad at my last church I came from. It's hard, isn't it? It's hard. Teach them diligently to your sons what does that imply think think with me when you talk about what it is to teach children what does that imply automatically okay notice that repetition is going to be important can't just teach them one thing one time can you go put that in the trash it doesn't end up there does it no you find it as you're going towards the trash and like a crumbs trail crumbs going with it yes ma'am julie teach by example whoa Mm-mm. the Lord's getting in there and starting to get some wrenches and doing some stuff, isn't he? Because what that means is it's got to be a reality in your life in order for your child to know that it's a credible option in their life. Children are smart, aren't they? We've heard the old adage, right? A lot of things are more caught than they are taught. In fact, I would go as far as to say that there's one thing to sit here and say, I love my wife and yet treat her like garbage when I'm around her. 
And it's another thing to be loving my wife and not necessarily have to say it at all. Which one do you think is going to have a more profound effect? You see what I'm saying? Children know. They're smart. Good grief, they're smart. And so you, you have to deal with that. They see your life. We're, we're, we're teaching Nathaniel right now whenever he burps to say, excuse me. And so whenever that happens, I always have to say, excuse me, and teach him by example. And sometimes he still doesn't get it. And so you have to keep working and working and working. Because here's what you're ultimately trying to do. You are trying to convince him that that is the best direction he needs to go at that moment for that situation. Everybody see that? It's got to penetrate the heart and become an overlying truth in order to be making a difference to where now, this is always where he goes in this situation. It's training is what it is. So I have to teach them diligently. What does it mean to do something diligently? What's the last, let me ask you this, what's the last thing you did diligently? I searched for that Badgers game for forever, right? You are diligently searching through the channels for the Badgers game. By the way, Purdue, really? Come on, guys. Expect better out of your state. Good grief. All right, moving on. <laughs> right. A win's a win. But seriously, what's the last thing you did diligently? Diligently. Read and pray? What is it to read and pray diligently? Time? What's that? On a regular basis. What's it look like to, to, to sit down, read your buddy and pray? Buddy. Read your Bible and pray. What's that look like? Okay. So the fact of being consumed with it, Chris? Okay. Even when you don't have the book open, you're still meditating on what it was that you had. Taking it with you. Putting some effort into it. How about structuring life around you so that it is more easily attainable. How many people study their Bibles with the TV on? Why don't we do that? What's that? It doesn't work. Because you sit there and you're... Right? It doesn't work. So you have, to, you have to... Hold on one second. You have to look at the distractions or the roadblocks that could keep you from the achieved goal and eliminate them. So that you get the maximum result. That's the idea. Who had one? Tanya, what'd you have? It's as simple as that. That's an excellent answer. That's why it's called a quiet time, isn't it? Notice it's not called an ESPN time with Jesus Christ. It's not what it's called. It's not a Fox News time with Jesus Christ. It is a quiet time with Jesus Christ. And let's be honest, the world is busy enough, is it not? So that quiet time needs, needs an opportunity to shut everything else down and get alone with Him. That has to happen. Or if it doesn't, our lives suffer from it. And the responsibility that we see around us, whether you're a parent, whether you're a grandparent, doesn't matter. You still have an influence on somebody else's life. Is that's going to trickle over. Working with the flow that this needs to go so that we are teaching them diligently. Putting all of our effort into it. Always keeping it before us. And look how, look how the text unfolds it.
what it says. Teach them diligently to your sons. It's supposed to be a generational thing. And shall, watch this, talk of them when you sit in your house. You know what that means? Your speech is consumed with the things of the Lord. Anybody ever had a friend come to you and ask your advice on something? Right? Well, I was talking to such and such. They told me to do this. If this is a reality in your life, guess what your answer is? The Bible. Here, let me, let me look up the passage and tell you the answer to what you're looking for. Because don't you find that a lot of times, especially lost people or wayward Christians, all the answers they're looking for, Jesus has already told them in Scripture. It really is. It's profound. So it's just simply knowing the Word and then being able to dispense the Word. Why? Here's the reason why. Because notice that the answers that we are going to give or how we're going to direct children do not reside in ourselves. Everybody see that? How many of you have used the because I said so? Okay. And because you said that, your child was completely transformed and different from that moment and never did that wrong thing ever again, right? You were such a convincing authority that time stopped in that moment. No. But what if, what if parenting reached past the parent into the eternal? Explaining to your child, explaining to your grandkids, well, the reason is is because God in this time in history has made me your dad. He has put the responsibility for raising you in me. He has put the responsibility for helping you as a grandfather, grandmother, aunt, uncle, doesn't matter. The idea is that the home is saturated in truth and all things direct back to God. All of it does. It doesn't change. So anytime that I'm talking, giving answers, providing direction, having conversation, all of it is to be saturated of Yahweh. That's it. To talk of anything else without Him in the framework idea is to speak on our own personal wisdom. And there is nothing of benefit in our wisdom. The wisdom of the wise is foolishness before God. Period. So ultimately, if you think about it, you and I have nothing to say if it is apart from what we have learned about Jesus. You say, well, man, that's, that's pretty harsh. It's pretty clear, I think, is what it is. Sometimes we don't like some stuff because it's so clear we're looking for a way to get around it. But the fact is, all of life needs to be consumed with what's going on with Jesus. Our speech, what we say, needs to have Him threaded in between the words. Now, I know, here, here's what you might be thinking. You might be saying, well, wait a second. I, I've, I've seen all these disaster situations where these kids grew up, and they grew up in good Christian homes, and they were, they were raised, and they went to Sunday school, and they were in Awana, and they did all these things and all that. And then when they became teenagers, they just went bananas. Anybody know that? Where that's happened? Yeah. You have a few kids like that? Yeah, those are mine. There's a big difference between growing them up in a religious home 
and training them in a relational home. There's a big difference. And let's be honest, and good grief, this scares me to death. Parents fail sometimes. Do we not? We're human. And there are some situations we look at and go, that was not the right decision. When I look back on it, I probably had the greatest intentions of the world. But there's really nothing about Jesus saturated in that. And I think it's important that we understand how do you define between the freeness and the fullness of the grace that Jesus offers to come in relationship with Him and to have that fellowship with God through Him and the idea of just trying to get a kid to abide by rules and regulations so that they are good boys and girls. You see what I'm saying? There's something about grace that transcends that jargon. Being able to work with them in such a way, and and please, guys, understand, my patience level with Nathaniel is tested daily. It is. I want to grab him by his cute little face and toss him. I do sometimes because he will not stop picking up the screwdriver and he wants to, oh, let's play swords and, you know, everybody's getting ready to have flesh wounds because of it. It's dangerous stuff. But there is something about helping them realize the idea that there is a God who loves them no matter what they do. Because you train a child up in the way they should go, and what does it say? When they're older, they will not depart from it. We know this stuff. You see what I'm saying? So this isn't any different, this idea here. You should teach them diligently in your sons. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way. Do you know why they put, and when you walk by the way? So that none of us would go, I'm out of the house. We can stop talking about God now. Woo, let's move on to some other things to talk about. No. Doesn't matter where you're sitting or whether you're walking. He is your all in all. How about the next part here? When you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you're going to bed, and when you rise up. In other words, everywhere, every step, every breath, sold out to Him. Every thought, every directive, every teaching moment originates in the entire design that the Creator has already set up. Does that make sense? Is that easy to do? No. Is it right to do? Well, yeah. It's being clearly commanded about what the structure of a society is to look like with God as its center. This is the idea. How about it says here, verse 8, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets on your foreheads. Let's do this real quick. Put your finger here, turn to Proverbs 3. Let's give some clarity to this. Let's use Scripture to interpret Scripture, give some clarity to this idea. Proverbs 3. Chapter 3 of Proverbs, look at verse 1. My son, do not forget my what? Teaching. Now, with Solomon writing this, do you think that he was teaching these things diligently as he sat in the house and as he walked by the way and as he lied down and as he rose up? 
Remember, Solomon's kingdom was awesome until he got older. And he started marrying all of these ladies. He started making alliances with pagan countries and not trusting that that the Lord would be their help, their refuge, their protection, their strength. And then he started succumbing to idolatry because of all these ladies that he got involved with. But the beginning of his, his time was awesome. His prayer in dedicating the temple to God after it was completed is incredible. It is worth reading because he is so full of awe for who God is and he is calling the entire nation to account. So Solomon has something to say about parenting that's extremely important. Look what he says. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. Where's the problem? The heart. Notice it's brought up again. The heart is what needs to be convinced. How about verse 2? For length of days and years of life and peace, they will add to you. Does this sound any different from the commandment of honor your father and your mother? Isn't that the commandment with the promise because your days in the land will be long? Yes. Yeah, it is. How about 3.3? Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Now, is that what they're supposed to do? Anybody got any kindness or truth laying around we could bind around our necks? Tight, like a noose. But does everybody see the idea here? Bind it around your neck. Write them on, a ta- on the tablet of your heart. What is the imagery saying here? What is this poetic imagery saying? Keep it close. Don't lose sight. Have it be what directs you. Why would it be around your neck? What do you think that imagery is? Okay, it could be the very air you breathe. It could be a necklace that other people see maybe. It could be a way of which you are led. Everybody see that? Like you would lead cattle at that time? Horses? Something like that? But notice, it's around your neck. It's also on your heart. How about turn over to chapter 6? Look at chapter 6 of Proverbs. Look at verse 20. My son, observe the commandment of your father, and do not forsake the teaching of your mother. Bind them continually on your heart. Tie them around your neck. Verse 22, when you walk about, they will what? They will guide you. Why? Because they're always in front of you. Does everybody see that? Notice, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will. Come on, guys. Watch over you. And when you awake, they will. What? What does that mean? They will talk to you. You'll remember them. They'll always have something to say. Let me ask you the question. And, and yeah, I get it. We're, we're not under the law. Uh, that's fine. But is there any time that the truth of God becomes irrelevant? I, I, I get sorrowful at all these churches like, well, we're here to make the truth relevant. Immediately, I'm not going there. I don't care about your podcast or your cool coffee mugs or anything like that. I don't want anything to do with it. Why? Because the truth always speaks to the time. The truth does not change. Therefore, it is always relevant and everything around it is changing. Notice that these Proverbs have the automatic embedded assumption 
that the fathers and the mothers have this constant teaching atmosphere. Where does that come from? It comes from Deuteronomy 6. Does everybody see that? Solomon already assumes that it's a mainstay. Let's finish up with this. Look over at chapter 7. Look at verse 1. What does your heading say above chapter 7? The wiles of the harlot, the ways of the adulteress. Yep, everybody watch out for that. And that's pretty much what Proverbs is. Son, listen to what your mom and dad said and stay away from that shady girl in her house. That's pretty much what it means. We can say other words, but you guys get the point. Verse seven, chapter 7, verse 1. My son, keep my words and treasure my commandments within you. Keep my commandments and live and my teachings as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister. In other words, keep her close and call understanding your intimate friend that they may keep you from an adulteress from the foreigner who flatters with her words. From people who come in and try to deceive. If you have these truths as mainstays in your life, they will keep you from sin. That's the idea. That's what the commandments are supposed to do. They are supposed, they are supposed to be saturated in your culture, but notice that's not enough. They have to be taught diligently. Why? To penetrate the heart. But notice, that's enough. You have to keep reminding the kids over and over as they grow up, listen to your mom, listen to your dad, because everything we did directed you back to God's Word. Because when you meet these situations, you could fall. And you don't want to have to learn it the hard way. Get this, that is the definition of wisdom. Seeing where other people screwed up and not doing that. Not making that same mistake. And that's the beautiful thing about the Bible. It's everybody warts and all. Take the examples from them. Get the encouragement from them. Get the instruction from them so that you will persevere in the hard times and not forsake God's Word and succumb to stupid sins where you're like, why did I do that? Because we know God's Word spoke against it. Let's be different people and listen to what God said and do it. Everybody see that? How different that is? Okay. We need to wrap up, but are there any questions about this before we move forward? This is such an important part of Scripture. Next week we're off because of the Thanksgiving weekend. And then in two weeks we're going to talk about the mezuzah. That's going to be lots of fun if you want to do some research on that. Can I give you some homework? Does everybody want homework for the next two weeks? Huh? Yeah, absolutely. Are you going to do it? No, not at all. But let's at least hear what it is. Read Proverbs 1 through, let's see here, 10. Proverbs 1 through 10. You've, you've got two weeks, okay? So every day if you read a proverb, you know, you, you, you can get it done within that time of 14 days. You can, you can read 10 of them. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I want you to look for some keywords. I want you to look for things like wisdom and instruction and teaching. Those types of words, mark those, how important they are. And I want you to also notice the mother-father-offspring relationships. Because here's what's interesting. This is Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, with the exception, of course, of the omnipotent Lord Jesus Christ, omniscient Lord Jesus Christ. Um, 
But the wisest man who ever lived on the face of the earth, and he starts his book of wisdom with talking about the family relationships, bringing up children, and the importance of God's word being saturated throughout it. And I want you to notice how much time he spends and how much direction he gives in those first 10 Proverbs of dealing with those things. That sound good? That's a pretty easy, decent, devotional type of assignment. That sound good? All right, let's pray. Thank you, God, for our time together. Thank you, God, for the richness of your word, how it's always relevant, how it always speaks to our situation. And I pray that we would be people who don't just know and study diligently, but we would also teach them to others diligently. Whether we're lying down, whether we're rising up, whether we're sitting, whether we're walking, it does not matter. I pray that the word of God always be before us. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Yes, sir. You know what? I don't know. There's not a want so we don't have to worry about the chairs. Uh, here's what we do need.